Al Jazeera podcast. Israel's siege and destruction of Gaza is a humanitarian catastrophe for its 2.3 million people. Those are the United Nations words as it warns that cutting off water, food, fuel and electricity is a war crime. So what can stop such collective punishment? I'm Tom McRae and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Joining me now are our guests in Khan Yunus in Gaza is Mansour Shoman, a resident of Gaza. In Ramallah is Bushra Khalidi, policy lead in the occupied Palestinian territory and Israel for Oxfam. And in Bethlehem is Raham Jafari, a communications and advocacy coordinator for the occupied Palestinian territory for ActionAid. Thank you all very much for joining us here on Inside Story. Manso, if I can begin with you, you are obviously living this humanitarian crisis day in, day out there in Gaza. We've heard from the the UN Secretary-General, who's just reiterated that the situation is getting worse and worse each and every hour. Can you just explain exactly where you are right now and, and what the situation is like in Gaza as it stands? Well, thank you for having me on the program. Hello to your guests. Um, I'm now located in Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus, in the south of the Gaza Strip. Um, as the UN Secretary General said, I mean, I'm wondering how it can get better. Right now, we have over 8,000 killed, 20,000 injured. Borders are still closed. Um, until now, 50 to 60 trucks have come in since the last 23 days. Normally, we expect 400 trucks a day during non-war time. Chemical attacks on the residents of Gaza, white phosphorus on my family. Mosques have been bombed down. Churches have been brought to rubble. Hospitals, hundreds killed in them while being treated together with hundreds of refugees. Israel has, has, not, only, has not only shut off the water taps and the electricity taps, in addition to not allowing any food coming in, but they've also tried to stop communication in Gaza, inside Gaza and to the outside world. The situation is getting worse and out of hand. Mm. Uh, Raham, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the looting that we have seen uh, recently. For the very first time since the war broke out, we've seen people so desperate that they have been forced to go to UNRWA uh, depots and and fend for themselves, find the food, take it home to feed their, their families. How big of a concern is it that, that this is now happening? Um, thanks. And uh, so this is um, a, a very difficult situation and a very uh, catastrophic situation. And uh, so um, Gaza um, is under total uh, blockade and siege, denying the entry of basic food items and fuel and medical supplies. And uh, there is no electricity, and the people do not have any safe place to go, to go. And uh, even the hospitals that under continuous threat of bombing and uh, evacuation, uh, the people do not uh, n- uh, know where to go. And uh, there is a humanitarian catastrophe. It is unprecedented level of targeting civilians. Um, it is a, a humanitarian catastrophe. Is also it cannot describe the whole situation mm. uh, in Gaza. 
so it, it, this situation puts a, a, a more a huge pressure on the uh, work and the operation of a humanitarian organization that cannot uh, work or continue its work under this situation um, where there is no electricity, where is, there is no enough aid entering Gaza, um, it, around the 87 of a humanitarian aid truck that entered Gaza for 2.3 million people. This is not sufficient. This is not fair. Uh, and there is no safe access for humanitarian uh, corridors to enter and to allow people to 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 reach their uh, basic needs. I mean, the water is polluted and um, uh, the uh, hospitals cannot uh, treat with all the injured and with the wounded people uh, they receive from the continuous pumping that target church, mosque, houses, uh, children, women. Uh, so I, I cannot catch all the words to describe the situation that people, our people in Gaza pass through. And so there is an urgent call and an immediate call to reach an immediate ceasefire, an immediate uh, pause uh, for this uh, for this huge uh, violence uh, against people, against civilians, against children in Gaza. Mm. Raham, you're not the only one uh, not finding the words to describe uh, what is happening in Gaza at this point in time. Uh, Bushra, the UN warned that civil order uh, was dissolving inside Gaza because of the pressure that the 2.3 million people there are under. Is that what we are seeing here now? I mean, if people are having to... I mean, you know, you have to understand, people... Gaza before uh, the 7th of October is a place where there's no homeless people despite a humanitarian crisis and living under siege for 16 years. There's no crime in Gaza. Uh, that's non-existent. So for people to be looting UNRWA... Uh, and people that are dependent on aid and have always been dependent on aid. And this, this is not anything new for Gazans. They've been living on the brink of a humanitarian catastrophe in the way that we've seen it in the last three weeks for years because of the illegal Israeli blockade imposed on Gaza, cutting off Gaza from many basic supplies. Um, for people to be looting flour and rice, I mean, the situation must be very desperate. Um, and, and must be, you know, and I know from my from myself, and we, we've heard our colleague that in Gaza um, saying that on his own family, he's he's been impacted by the bombardments. I have my own family as well in Gaza. They were sharing two cans of tuna. So as a mm. mom myself, I would probably also uh, get any my hands on any type of flour or food to be able to to feed my children. Uh, it's a very natural, I think, and human uh, thing to do. Uh, there's been also very conflicted reports about this looting and why that happened. Um, I've had direct witness testimonies about this, saying that actually it was bombarded um, right after people had looted it and had been asked to be evacuated. So there are different reports on that. I know that it's not clear because we're unable to contact anybody because connection lines have been completely disrupted. So we're not even able to speak to our colleagues or speak to our, to our family to really understand what is going on uh, as the minutes go by. Mm. Um, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, it, it certainly it certainly is in that lack of communication between officials, but also between family members and friends living in Gaza uh, months or must also be extremely difficult uh, at this time. 
We've heard over the last couple of days that uh, this is the first time that people inside Gaza are really going hungry, that starvation is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Is that how it feels there now, Mansour? As your guest mentioned, even during the blockade before this war, Gaza is a very safe place. I mean, very rarely do you hear of any kind of um, criminal activity happening, even small-scale looting. So the fact that the people had to go to the strategic storage in the UNRWA to uh, take flour and rice to feed their own children and their own extended families shows you how much uh, of a massive um, crisis in terms of uh, food and nutrition we are reaching. The sense I am getting from the people living across of my across of where I am in the four different schools around 20,000 refugees, is that the, the, the rations that they are getting are getting smaller. Uh, the people that need to be fed are getting larger in numbers, and that even if people have a little bit of cash on their side, they can't find and buy the food they need. So there's a problem of quality, there's a problem of quantity. However, even with all these challenges, the people here in Gaza are trying to keep high morale, they are trying to be, uh, practice steadfastness, practice patience, and help each other out as much as they can. But we need the help of the international community to open the borders mm. unequivocally for both sides and all kinds of aid to come in as soon as possible, because by today, we should have had a count of 23 days times 400 trucks, at least 9,000 containers of aid which should have replenished whatever the refugees ate and drank over the last 23 days. Mm. Remarkable uh, that so little aid has gotten in uh, over the last three weeks. Raham, do you think that the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding inside Gaza, do you think that's a deliberate tactic of Israel or, or simply a consequence of war? Um, so I think that uh, if the humanitarian corridors is not uh, opened and if the uh, an immediate uh, ceasefire is not reached i think uh, the humanitarian situation and the humanitarian catastrophe will be exacerbated uh, during the upcoming uh, days and uh, uh, we will uh, lose many people we many lives will be lost uh, even the patient people who could, who couldn't reach and uh, receive the medical care they want i think uh, there is an urgent call to international community, to the world leader, to all the people to reach uh, a ceasefire, to uh, practice pressure on Israel to adhere to the international community. And also in this regard, I want to emphasize one point and the main point that the people in Gaza, as your guest said, all the time keep a high moral and a high adherence to a social cohesion and respect to the law. Mm. Uh, some families host more than 50 members of their relatives and, uh, and their friends in one house, and they share everything. So, and uh, the main problem, the main thing that we want to focus on now is to reach a ceasefire, to open a humanitarian corridor, to allow a humanitarian uh, aid to in Gaza, and also especially the fuel which is needed to 
for uh, hospitals which is needed to generate electricity to uh, to to produce clear water to produce food item for the people bakers cannot work because it can't produce mm. bread which is a main component for food in gaza and in the middle east so uh, the the most priority that we focus on is a humanitarian and an immediate ceasefire i think yeah, and you are not the only ones who, who have been calling for that. And those calls have been growing louder and louder as the days go on. But still, we have yet to see anything along those lines. Bushra, you work for Oxfam, and they have called uh, that the starvation that is happening in Gaza now is being used as a weapon of war. Is this a war crime? It may amount, indeed, to a war crime. We, and I think the international community has been very clear about Israel's duties and obligations under international law. Uh, Israel uh, block, illegally blockades is, uh, Gaza, has been for the last 16 years. We've been under military occupation here in the West Bank for 57 years. Um, and it has obligations under international law to protect civilian population. And that means provide them with basic needs, including water, fuel, electricity, and food and medical supplies. When these essential food items like flour and oil and sugar are prevented from entering the Gaza Strip because the borders have been closed or and or bombed, um, you know, the the you know it's 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 clear that um starvation as a method of warfare has been used and it's strictly prohibited by international humanitarian law. And as the occupying force, Israel has an obligation to ensure the needs. Of, uh, and protection of Gaza's population, and that is not currently the case. And not to mention the collective punishment uh, as well. Mansour, I want to talk a little bit about fuel, because that is also one of the biggest problems that is facing everyone in Gaza at the moment. I mean, Israel still refuses uh, to let any into the Strip. Can you just explain how that affects almost every part of life there? Yes. Um, the problem right now is that Israel has cut the main electrical grid off from Gaza Strip since 23 days. So people rely on uh, other ways to generate electricity for, for their main function in life. However, there are some uh, main units within Gaza, like hospitals, like clinics, like um, uh, rescue centers, fire departments, uh, ambulances, etc., which rely very heavily to have electricity and to have things charged up through electrical generators that are fed by fuel. Mm. So without fuel, hospitals will stop working. People will die directly as a result of that. Without fuel, uh, there will be no more internet connections. There will be no more uh, ways to communicate within each other and within the outside world. Without fuel, uh, the, the, the limited amount of power generation from solar cell panels and um, other methods is like very, very, very small. And it is not enough to, to, to give uh, enough power to the people here. Fuel here is now equal to life. It is more important than food and water. And if they are worried that an entity like Hamas will be controlling this fuel, then I urge them to ensure that it, it is being directed uh, properly as uh, through organizations such as the Red Crescent, Red Cross, the UNRWA, etc., 
uh, in order to, for them to direct it to where they believe is the right place. Mm. Uh, the fuel needs to enter as soon as possible, or we are committing 2.3 million residents to death. Mm. Raham, aid, uh, action aid obviously works extensively right throughout uh, Gaza. I mean, aid agencies there are now having to make extremely difficult calls about the limited amount of fuel that they have and where the priorities lie, whether it should go to ambulances to, to, to get the injured back to hospital, whether to keep incubators uh, or generators running, whether to send it to bakeries so food can be made to feed people. How difficult is that for someone that works for an aid agency, just having to make those types of calls? As your guest mentioned, that fuel is important for everything. It's a life-saving. It's similar to water and food. Uh, without fuel, we cannot produce water. We cannot clear water uh, for human consumption. Without fuel, we cannot work in balances. We cannot move also. Uh, if fuel is needed, if, if fuel is not uh, available, I think our work will be embedded and also we try as much as we can with limited capacities on the ground to uh, to try to help the people that are there. But uh, under the, also the lack of safety, the continuous pumping and the severe shortage of fuel, uh, our work is embedded, uh, our movement is embedded uh, also. So uh, fuel is is essentially needed mm. and is essentially needed to enter now, Gaza, now, mm. you mean? Uh, yes. It's not just about aid getting through the Rafa crossing, though, is it? Uh, Bushra, can you just help explain to people that might not fully understand it that how Israel controls uh, power and water access into Gaza, that, that doesn't necessarily have to come in on trucks, does it? No, I mean, it doesn't. And also, I mean, it's important to say you asked a very important question, like, how do we make that call? Well, actually, we wouldn't have to make that call if parties were abiding by their duties and obligations under international law. Both mm. parties, by the way, um, uh, uh, on the on the on the blockade on Gaza and, and, and what Gazans have had to endure for the last 16 years. Uh, the blockade was deemed illegal by the International Court of Justice a few years ago in an advisory opinion. Um, uh, Israel, of course, controlled the Israeli borders. There's only 1% of Gazans before the 7th of October that could come in and out of Gaza um, and humanitarian aid and workers, of course. But, you know, also on top of this blockade, um, there were six escalations in the last 10 years. And every time there has been an escalation in Gaza, the borders were for force, forcefully closed. So um, clearly there is that type of control um, from Israel. Uh, it claims to not have control over the Rafah border, but that's incorrect because it gets to close and open the border whenever it chooses to. Um, and it also bombarded Rafah, I mean, in the few the first few days of, of, of this, this current escalation and hostility. Um, in terms of water and electricity, actually Gaza buys most of its water, or at least half of it, uh, buy from an Israeli company that provides water for it. Mm. Uh, same thing, it buys electricity from the Israeli grids and, uh, and you know, uh, compensates with solar, uh, with solar panels and fuel um, uh, for, from the, for the power plant. So uh, they are dependent on these resources by Israel. And the fact that these can be shut off uh, each time isn't 
I mean, is, you know, it, it is a serious violation of international law and may well uh, amount to a war crime. Yes, indeed. Mm. Mansour, I'm not too sure if you've been able to see uh, from within Gaza over the, the last week or so, rallies, uh, shows of solidarity with Palestinians have been growing larger and larger right around the world. Then there were more than a million people uh, turned out in Istanbul, uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in London uh, turned out to, to walk uh, uh, along the streets there, protesting what is happening inside Gaza. How important is it? I mean, I know it doesn't actually change the situation, but how important is it for people to put pressure, especially on the Western governments that have sided with Israel here? How important is it for someone sitting inside Gaza to see that and, I guess, for people to keep that up? Um, honestly, uh, whenever the people here have access to social media and they see the demonstrations all around the world, trying to support the cause of the Palestinian people here in Gaza, trying to put pressure on their governments uh, to help ease the pressure on us here, uh, their spirits get lifted. On behalf of the 2.3 million people here living in Gaza, I want to thank each and every one of you who goes to these demonstrations, who writes letters to the government officials, who puts pressure in different ways, in peaceful manners, to try to apply the basic human rights that are imprinted in the UN on the civilians here in Gaza that mm. have been going through escalating hell over the last 23 days. Mm. Raham, uh, we began this uh, program by asking uh, one question, one that's very difficult to answer uh, because no one seemingly has been able to come up with one. What do you think is actually going to stop this collective punishment? What is happening with the siege in Gaza? What will stop this collective punishment, you mean? Yes. I think there will be, there should be a, a strong political will among the political leader in the world and a huge pressure on Israel from the international community, from the UN bodies and from the political leaders, as mentioned, and from the, the, the peoples of the world to continue raising their voices and demonstrating uh, to protest against this escalation, against targeting this civilian, to uh, to uh, to force Israel to adhere to international uh, to international law. Uh, there should be a collective work, a collective action uh, from all governments around the world uh, to uh, work together, to come together, uh, to reach uh, a ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire for the people who are being killed for uh, uh, for more than 23 days. Bushra, do you have any hope at this point in time that at the very least we're going to see a humanitarian ceasefire uh, put in place before, you know, more and more people die in Gaza? No, um, organizations like Oxfam have been raising the alarm bells for years on the situation of Gaza. And what we've been calling for is not only an end to the siege, um, and of course an immediate ceasefire, that goes without saying, but an end to the siege and for the international community to deal with the root causes of this issue towards and work towards an, a, a real time-bound plan 
um, with key accountability mechanisms for each point of that plan um, uh, for uh, uh, towards you know the justice um, and this and towards this injustice to resolve this injustice and to resolve this violence and we have been calling that for for years now um, and 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 that is also my call and I, I I urge also people to support the call that came out a couple uh, weeks ago by more than 600 organizations globally, including big international organizations of one is, which one is Oxfam, uh, calling for an immediate ceasefire, but also an entire ceasefire proposal as part of that open call. And it's garnered now more than half a million signatures in about a week. Mm. Um, we urge people to continue making that call for an immediate ceasefire. As you said, we have seen it globally. Uh, the street has spoken. And now leaders need to um, to represent their constituents. Mm. Uh, they were uh, they represent constituents. They represent these people, and they have to address it. It's it's their responsibility as elected leaders. Mm. Um, so you know we enough of the persistent failure of the international community. It is now time, and yeah. now there's a window to take real action. Mm. Mansoor, we, we have about one minute left in the program. I just want to ask you uh, briefly. How angry are people there about the lack of action uh, from the international community? The people here are channeling all their emotions into action. It's like a beehive. Everyone is trying to help uh, to reduce the impact of what is happening in a, in a, and, and, and give in a positive manner in whatever way they can to relieve the pressure of the people here. Yes, people are angry. However, they believe that all they can do at this point is to try and help people around them to live a better life. Thank you so much, uh, Mansour. We, uh, we really appreciate it and, and really uh, hope for your and your family's safety there inside Gaza. Thank you all three of you uh, for joining us on Al Jazeera. Uh, Mansour Sherman, Bushra Khalidi and Reham Jafari, uh, thank you so much. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Sarah Gill, Fongi Nguyen and Leanne Helmy. Studio sound was by Sintel Marimuthu. The programme was edited by Vinesh Velilat, Zainab Bada and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.